back to Constant Eternal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the made-for-TV movie, uh, Babylon 5, In the Beginning. Uh, so, this was originally, I think I pointed this out during Atonement uh, in the spoiler section, was uh, that originally this was supposed to be like a uh, brief arc in Season 4 in between the Shadow War uh, and the uh, the Minbari Civil War in, in, in Earth Civil War, and it was to lead into, uh, the Minbari Civil War, and, uh, it was supposed to be a flashback arc focusing on the events of the Earth-Minbari War and how everything that sort of happened, you know, all those years ago, 10, 13 years ago now, uh, is directly related to everything that has happened in the series, uh, starting from the gathering onwards, uh, that it is a it is a sort of a nexus in the timeline that it changed the status quo of the galaxy, and that status quo is the uh, the the aftershocks of it is sort of the status quo of the show. Um, and of course, that had to be cut because of the season four crunch, and then TNT stepped in, and the, they, you know, along with the the deal for the fifth season, came a deal for some TV movies, and this is where we get this. Um, it's going to be the last movie I cover. I'm not all that interested in covering the other two. Um, I may come back to them, you know, River Souls and Call to Arms, but for now, it's just this one and Third Space, which I've already done. Third Space, so. I love the framing device of it being Londo, an old, uh, regretful, weary Londo, sitting alone in the Emperor's chair, uh, Centauri Prime on fire, uh, telling a story to children. Uh, it kind of harkens back to the gathering. Uh, Londo was the one who narrated the gathering. You know, I was there. Uh, you know, at the dawn of the third age. That's the opening line. Uh, and that's also how he begins this narration. So it, it, it's fascinating uh, how uh, everything kind of circles back on each other. Uh, and I also like the, just the attention, the detail that uh, Luke and uh, uh, Alyssa, she, th those, uh, those two children are uh, uh, the, the family members of... Uh, of uh, Londo's friend that he had to kill back in season two and uh, in the episode uh, in here, All, All Honor Lies. Uh, and it's revealed in one of the novels that the woman that's overseeing them is actually the daughter of Ritha, who's also been inducted to the House Malari. So I, I, I like those little ties uh, back. And of course, you know, the reveal at the end... Um, that this is Londo's final night. This is the night that Sheridan from the past is going to uh, jump forward into his body in the future uh, from War Without End, and uh, Londo's going to make the choice to spare, uh, you know, Delin and Sheridan, and he will pay the price, and Jakar will kill him, and he will kill Jakar. Uh, it is his final night, and it's really poetic in a way to see him, a man full of such bitterness and regret, full of mistakes, um, simply sitting down, enjoying a night of calm and peace, 
talking to kids, just telling a story. The story that ultimately would affect his life all the way up to this point. But the, the point of it is to drive home that every decision, every action has ripples and has consequences. Uh, and sometimes those are small and sometimes those are large and we can't often see it. But it's important to remember that. Uh, and a lot of the, the times that it, it goes back to him uh, th throughout the episode are, are really wonderful moments. You like the moment where Luke is like, I wanted, I wanted a story about fighting and war and, uh, and what does this have to do with that? that? And, and he's like, oh, the young, they don't understand war. They don't understand that everything to do with that is just uh, misery and pain and the loss that comes with it. Not only is he speaking from experience... But he's also just sort of uh, examining why someone was young. And he wasn't young when the series began, but he still was young enough to be naive in a way. And, uh, you know, he didn't think his actions, in, uh, you know, through. And ultimately, his actions you know, doomed, you know, an entire race and, uh, fucked the galaxy and he's got to live with that. Uh, and so he's, he's trying to warn Luke to be careful. Uh, and it's also sort of a meta commentary, JMS sort of pointing at you, the viewer, and going, uh, yeah, you wanted to see more space battles, didn't you? You wanted to see more pain and misery and loss, that's not what this show is about. That show, this show has it, uh, and certainly delivers on a lot of the spectacle, but it always weighs it down with a sense of what the cost actually is, and that's why a lot of the show is more focused on the political and emotional ramifications of a war rather than the actual fighting. It's because this show is far more concerned with the effects for losses, not the losses themselves. Because, the you know, as Sheridan said, the, the only truth in a war is that you're going to send people to die. And, of course, that wonderful scene uh, where uh, he, he mentioned, he, he looks out to, uh, you know, a burning Centauri Prime, and he talks about how he had every window, you know, uh, obscured, so he didn't have to look at this because he felt like he would just curl up and die if he had to see this knowing that it was his fault you know he doesn't outright say that but having you know watched the entire series before i know that ultimately it is partially his fault in a way and uh, uh and how everything he did was for centauri prime it was never for personal power or anything like that it was all for the glory of his people the glory of his home and they did, you know, what they had to, and what they did destroyed it. So, in the end, was it worth it? Uh, and it's beautiful to see Londo uh, like this, because in the War Without End section, you know, if uh, uh, when he when he's talking to, to Lynn and Sheridan in that episode, you know, the Emperor, future Emperor Londo. He's got the, you know, he, the Keeper's in full control. 
And then he gets himself blindly drunk so he can make his own actions. Um, and here we see him where the keeper is sort of at rest. Uh, he's not making any big decisions. He's clearly drinking a lot. Um, and then that, 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 that's something that even ends the episode is him drinking himself into a stupor as the camera sort of pans out. Uh, knowing that he is a, a lone, tired old man full of regret who sits on a throne of ashes and is nothing but a drunk. The poor, tragic tale of Londo Malari. And just seeing this bit of, lack, lack of a better word, humanity in the keeper possessed Londo is nice. Uh, just him talking to kids and it's really you can really tell this is a moment where it's just him uh it's especially prevalent when he uh you know he gives luke the the seal of the centauri republic and says for you know this brief moment you're the emperor uh what do you do you can make any one command and he, he's he's having a chuckle with it and then a kid sits there in silence says what do you want and there's this night he, he sits back in the darkness and then the, the woman was like you know answer him he's like no no it's fine it's fine uh he did far better with that question than i did um and just that that full weight of everything he has done is coming back on him uh, and there's a sense of acknowledging his mistakes knowing that he's lived with it and he can't move on from it, but trying ever so slightly to do something with it, to to turn that pain into a positive. Uh, and we'll see that he'll spare Sheridan Dillon and ultimately give up his life to protect them. Uh, so this is a wonderful, wonderful send-off for the character, and it's nice seeing his final night like this, knowing this was the way he went out. Um, so let's actually get into the, the Earth-Mimbari War stuff. Um, you know, it, it's it's essentially just showing us everything that we already knew. Like Franklin, you know, getting rid of his notes, going to jail for not, not turning his notes over to be turned to the biological weapons, Sheridan destroying the Black Star, um, you know, Dylan, uh, you know, being the... Uh, Deciding vote to declare the holy war, Dukat getting killed, the soul hunters, you know, being there, um, you know, battle of the line, kidnapping of Sinclair, the surrender, all that jazz. We've heard about all this stuff, and in some cases, in some flashback sections, uh, such as atonement or uh, some brief moments uh, in season two, we or even season one, we saw bits and pieces of this. A lot of, a, a lot of some, especially the battle line scenes are just archival footage from those flashbacks from previous seasons. Uh, but now we get to see all the pieces put together and see how everything that happened in the Earth Mimbari War sort of feeds into what was to come. We see that the the tensions between the religious caste and the warrior caste are there. 
that there is a sense of complacency and that the rangers are all feeding into it, that the rangers are seen as inept and useless and it just something that is nothing but a traditional role put in by Valen that serves no purpose because their purpose is to, you know, report on the goings-ons of Zaha Doom, but the shadows haven't been seen and most Membari just believe they're a superstition. The Grey Council has become completely and utterly complacent. Uh, you know, uh, Ducat, uh, you know, being the one above the nine, he can't make any decision, but he's clearly able to coerce the council into going certain ways. And without him, the council is already going to be, you know, already being complacent and getting a kick in the ass from Ducat. Without him, they're going to become even more complacent, as we see as their, their want for misery and pain against the humans for the death of their leader nothing but vengeance. It's not a holy war, as Lynn says, it's anything but holy. Uh, you know, uh, this is their status quo now, uh, and are content with it. And I like how um, the, the sort of arrogance and complacency um, sort of feed into the humans, where, you know, uh, they came onto the scene relatively recently onto the galactic stage, and they helped the League of Non-Aligned Worlds with the Dilgar. Like, you know, the curb stomp the Dilgar, that situation was all done. Now they're a bit too big for the britches. They want to install colonies and all this stuff, and they want to go meet the biggest, most powerful race, which is the Mimbari, outside the Forlons. And um, as, uh, as Londo directly says, you know, arrogance is a all in one package. How efficient of you. Um, the, you know, the the Membare and the humans quite fittingly mirrored each other, uh, considering their destinies are going to become so closely knit together as time passes, and technically, because of time travel, already are closely knit together, because, you know, Valen was a thousand years ago, uh, and uh, it, it's nice to see these parallels and how this war ultimately all led up to the tensions that we have nowadays. It reminds me sort of of a World War One. Uh, in our very real world, World War One was a uh, result of a complicated net of uh, struggles, uh, both political and uh, racial in nature, uh, arrogance, and uh, bad decision-making, misunderstandings, and ultimately that that powder keg, as everybody mentions, you know, was lit through, you know, a killing that ultimately was, uh, you know, was bungled several times and then called off at the last minute and then, you know, j just happened to go get a sandwich and then boom, you know, the, the, the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand was, you know, a complete and utter, you know, bonkers moment in history, but it is the shot that changed the face of the world irrevocably because after that moment you know the the war raged on for years and then when it finally ended you have a situation in which uh, many people are angry fed up know that there's problems that need to be fixed and they're only slapping band-aids on them and every issue that World War One did not solve because it pretty much didn't solve anything. It just, you know, exacerbated the issues. Led in the World War Two, 
then led into the Cold War and uh, any other future conflicts we've had. Essentially, the entirety of the 20th century, uh, every political maneuver uh, and major national incident can be traced back to the aftershocks of World War One, in some way or another. And that's what we have here, uh, is that uh, the ultimately the, the problems between the rangers, the, the religious caste, and the warrior caste were put aside for the war. Then the divisions got stronger as the war went longer, and then ultimately the Grey Council decided to end the war and surrender, and that pissed off the, the, the warrior caste, and that led into the situation with the, you know, um, uh, you know, Mimbari Civil War and all the tensions, you know, starting from the gathering onwards. Sinclair's entire arc spawns right out of this moment. Uh, the Valen situation, the lack of preparedness of the galaxy for the shadows right here. The uh, very strong ties to the Vorlons right here. Uh, you know, Sheridan, the war hero, the person that the Earth Alliance feels it can push around and sort of fast track into a place of significance because ultimately he is just a mindless soldier, a grunt, if you will, uh, and thus can become a symbol of the ultimate, you know, propaganda machine. Um, and the tensions between the Centauri and the, the Narn, you know, the Narn our brief little you know glimpse uh, of Jakari his first scene we see him he's just completely and utterly you know it really accentuates the fact of how much he's grown over this series that he is in this one moment just full of the cycles of violence and paddling all that stuff about uh, how the the Sinari do not care they will never care um you know they are uh you know horrible horrible people and you can understand how he reached that conclusion, but it is a conclusion that's going to lead to a lot of suffering and a lot of pain in the future. Everybody's sort of thing comes back here. I mean, even Franklin and that's the tensions between him being a soldier and him being a doctor and how he can sort of marry those two ideals and those, uh, those duties and marry his job and also the family loyalty to his father it comes up here you know uh delen you know uh pain uh for her mistakes of letting her emotions be the deciding vote in declaring holy war ultimately being the one who caused the war to uh then spend the next 10 or so years you know, looking over humanity, trying to help out, trying to blend in uh, with humanity and ultimately, you know, uh, becoming half-human and marrying a human. Uh, and as we know from War Without End, having a child with a human. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's arc, at least a lot of them... And a lot of the status quo of what this world is like uh, begins here. Uh, something I brought up last episode, and I've brought up a couple other times in this series, is that what makes B5 special, and something I really enjoy, is that it's just a five-year glimpse at 
a living, breathing world. This world has a long history before and a long history after these five years. Uh, and, you know, the the Earthman Barney Ward is something that is central to that. It happened ten years ago, but everybody's feelings, especially in season one, uh, you know, are all pulling from that experience. And that experience within of itself pulls from, you know, uh, the Mimbari, uh, you know, religious veracity over uh, Valen a thousand years ago and the human arrogance of just discovering space flight and then dealing with the Dilgar. Um, this is a, uh, a, a, a or, or an organic world, a world that exists uh, and is fluid and evolving and doesn't stay the same. There is no such thing as a real status quo. Because uh, the status quos are sort of all reflective of what happened before and then affect what will come after. There's no central point like in a, and often in fiction, uh, especially fiction that needs to uh, onboard a lot of new people, something like a mainstream superhero comic or a uh, Star Trek, if you will. Uh, often has this one big status quo. You know, with Star Trek, it's, you know, ship, exploring space, reset button every episode to get back to that status quo. Or, you know, a big uh, mainstream superhero, let's take Spider-Man. You know, teenager living with his aunt and uncle, you know, poor, uh, dealing with the idea of responsibility, all that stuff, all wrapped into that. So even though the character of Peter Parker evolved past that through wonderful writing, eventually, inevitably, because it was marketable, he got pushed back to being a teenager. Um, and it was, you know, a questionable decision, but this the status quo is important to these ongoing fictional things and with b5 because it has a limit and a scope that in it knows exactly what it's doing its status quo isn't easily definable and uh you know i like the uh, just little moments in this episode or this movie i suppose of uh you know uh the reason why ivanova doesn't wear two earrings because she gave her other earring to her brother as a sign that he would come back, and then of course that feeds into our arc of everybody she's loved is is gone. Uh, you know, no one comes back, uh, and and she's losing hope. And then we see Kosh; he's the only one to really talk. Ulkesh has a couple of lines, but he's he doesn't give his name. Kosh is the only one that gives his name, and Kosh is the first one when Delenn asks for an answer to say the truth points to itself. Uh, it, it sort of, you know, these little brief glimpses uh, into what these characters were like, knowing what it would feed into, that Ivanova is a damaged, uh, trauma-focused uh, person who has ha had everything taken away from her, and that slowly gets worse and worse and worse. And you have someone like Kosh, who comes from a race that wants obedience, who believes in being enigmatic, just to prove their superiority and be completely and utterly unknowable, giving a name, giving answers, while they aren't, you know, fully understandable, because <laughs> he does still come from that culture. He is still different 
to especially his other counterpart, Ulkesh, and from every other Vorlon attitude we have seen. He's the only one that doesn't beat around the bush, as it were. Um, and there are some, like, uh, stuff in here where it's a bit convenient. Uh, like, uh, the, you know, uh, Sheridan being offered the job on the Prometheus, and he would have been the one to do first, uh, the, he would have been the XO to do the, the first contact, and whether he would have been able to calm the, the very gung-ho captured down or not is another question entirely. Uh, because of course it was him, and, uh, then, uh, Delenn, Jakar, uh, Franklin, and, uh, Sheridan all meeting each other, uh, but because it's such a short scene, no one actually says their name, Delenn's, uh, you know, face is cloaked, so, uh, it's, it's probably just a brief moment in their life that they would never remember, but it still is that kind of prequelitis, I suppose, where, these characters are destined to come together, so they all have to meet somehow like this. Um, and it does feel a bit odd that you know, apparently Franklin and Sheridan uh, went on this uh, life-daring mission to attempt to stop the war uh, and failed. And then they never bring it up when they meet each other in Season 2. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Um, but that that's just the price you pay for doing a prequel. And having to keep all the same actors. Um, and, and I like how Londo, even here, you know, made a mistake. Uh, it's a much smaller mistake. He kept the war going, but it, it is a mistake that he paid for, and it led to a lot of bloodshed. And, well, really reminiscent, right? You know, he made a mistake that led to, uh, to a constant... Uh, state of war for a long time it led to endless bloodshed uh, and ultimately he couldn't say a word about how he played a part in all of that and of course seeing the battle of the line in its entirety really uh, it was nice I would have liked Sinclair to have a bit more of a presence you know it's understandable because of Michael O'Hare's medical condition uh, you know, he couldn't really have been there. Um, you know, he came back for war without end, and even then, that was, you know, a risk. So, it's, it's completely understandable. It's just, it makes Sinclair seem so inconsequential when he is this man who's going to become a central figure to the entire Membari people. And I suppose there's an irony in that, and I think that in season one we really see that he's got survivor's guilt, and there's this constant talk about why did he get this position? He's he was a no one, he was just a pilot, you know. Um, he he was career military, uh, because his family was career military. There's nothing special about him, so why did he get this job? Uh, and so I suppose not seeing him really sells that the that Sheridan was the one you know, who was the war hero that everybody was talking about, who was used as a propaganda machine, uh, who did the big victory. Sinclair was just a grunt. Uh, but, you know, he happened to have one of the biggest impacts on the galaxy just because random happenstance. Um, but it would have been nice to see other things he'd done besides the archive footage of him at the Battle of the Line. Uh, and... Ultimately, this is a fantastic movie 
Um, it's everything one I, I want out of Babylon 5 movie uh, is feeding into the ultimate themes of the show. Um, you know, something like Third Space, which was a separate story, uh, River of Souls the same way, and then Call to Arms is a lead-in to a spin-off series. Um, in the beginning, I think, is the best out of the bunch. Um, and I think it's because it uses its format the best. Um, it, it manages to uh, enlighten a lot of the stuff we knew happened, but make it a bit more interesting, add to the universe as a whole, and add to especially Londo, seeing the rest of his final night, seeing what he was doing just before he passed. Um, he, you know, uh, I, I'm in a big favor of somehow reviving this franchise in some way or another. Um, but I, and I have heard on and on that it can be made into a movie and I say no because even the made for TV movies is you know some of them are meh but especially like in the beginning how good it is you know it uses its time to expand the TV series this isn't a story that can be told in a movie format uh, and uh, I think pointed it in the beginning which requires the context of you know the past four seasons to really appreciate is a good example of why this is a story that is long ever-changing and needs to be told in a way that's conclusive to those long ongoing stories and movies just aren't there they can't really do uh, long ongoing arcs and I know people point to the MCU and I say but those are self-contained stories that all happen to feed into one another due to random characters uh, if you go to comics or TV there's a much more fluid nature to the serialized storytelling it's much more obvious and it's notable that the MCU has switched primarily to putting out TV shows in you know the past couple years now I suppose it were it started last year or this year, um, you know, because that's just the correct format for these kind of stories. You can't really dig into these characters uh, with the demands of blockbuster movies. Uh, TV gives you the room and the space and the time to really do everything you need to do. But anyway, I love, love this movie. Uh, and it's got some fantastic scenes, especially with Londo. Uh, and the, you can tell that they busted their ass to get a lot of that CGI out there uh, to show the horrors that their Membari bore. And that speech uh, that Londo says over the big CGI moment, beautifully written, beautifully delivered too. Uh, so overall, just a really good movie. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't tell us anything that we didn't already know, but it expands our experience of those events. Um, not everything has to be uh, new and exciting. You can tell a familiar tale. You just got to do it wisely and do it in a way in which you can gain an emotional connection with your audience. I think that really shows here. Anyway, I shall see you next time for Season 5. Till then, bye.